some of my daughter's families were uh, celebrating this uh, last weekend, Friday and Saturday. It was a special birthday. So September 22nd. I wonder how many of you celebrated Bilbo Baggins' birthday? <laughs> Friday. Yeah, a few. Yeah, September 22nd is Bilbo Baggins' birthday, and so our girls grew up uh, hearing Bilbo Baggins read and the stories, and that became a thing for them, so they celebrate. So it's a feast, and uh, it's foods that we think Bilbo would have enjoyed, and they were doing that in Topeka, Kansas, and Nashville, Tennessee, maybe in Michigan, I'm not sure. But uh, the we love celebrations, right? And if we get an invite to a good one, we want to show up. Uh, we had an invitation from the DeWalt family this last weekend, too, and it was Scott's Fish Fry. And if, if you get the invitation next year to the Fish Fry, make sure you go. So the extended family was there, and, you know, the, the counters and the table are crammed with food, and Scott's smoked wings and fish, which was absolutely top-notch, some of the best I've ever had, was there. And there's all the fellowship, and it's around the table. is a great time. Um, there was an occasion kind of like that um, many years ago when my girls were all still small. And we were at my parents' house, big house I grew up in, and, you know, as one of 11, the siblings are there, their children are there, we're there with our children. And so everybody's hanging out together. It's a big celebration. It was a spring day. I don't remember what the occasion was. And the day lay before us. So it was still in the morning. So the tables are laden with food. We'll, we'll get to later. But the cousins are there. My siblings are there. Everybody's there. It's a big celebration. And one of my little girls had simply uh, got up on the wrong side of the bed. And she was not feeling the love or the day. And uh, I know what's ahead. I know all the pleasures that she can have, the place she can do with her cousins, the food she can enjoy, etc. And so, um, six four Mike is bending down to a little girl, three or four years old probably, trying to cajole her, you know, pleading with her. And, and I'm saying, honey, you know, we, we've got all this time together, and you're going to miss the day. <laughs> you know, if you can't get out of this funk. You know, she was little, so it's not, I'm not blaming her, right? She's not in full control of her emotions. But it's like if I can plead with her, if I can conjole her, I can get her out of this funk, and she can enjoy the celebration that she's, she's here, she's called to, it's available, but if she can't say yes to it, she'll get none of the benefit. And guys, uh, by the way, if you weren't in Sunday school this morning, it was so good. Because it was almost nothing but a guy just talking about the person and work of Christ. And in our discussion group, we just said, yeah, we could have just had him just keep going on because it's so encouraging. We want to remember that the gospel really is a, it's a call to the person of Christ because you remember just relationally, the gospel is all about restoration. That we, we were born for fellowship, it's been cut off, it's been severed through Adam's sin and all of his children after him. That's us included, and so Christ comes to restore fellowship. That's right. It's all about getting back to our relationship with God. But we want to remember, because uh, 
depending on where you're coming from or who you listen to or some of the prejudices maybe we just hear from other people, we can forget that God's call to us in Christ is a call to life. And, and I don't mean just breathing life, and I don't even mean life that goes on forever. That's John 17, 3. But it's qualitatively, it's qualitatively, it's, it's that which is real life. So you think of John 10 and Jesus says, you know, the enemy robs, kills and destroys, you lose. But I've come so that you can have life and it's abundant and it's overflowing. It's like your life is a cup and Jesus is just pouring water in it so much that it not only fills you up, it overflows you. It's so much life, we can't contain it. That's the invitation. And what you often see in Scripture is the invitation, the graphic or the scene that that invitation to life is made in has to do with festival, celebration, family times, corporate times of worship, times around the table. And that's what you'll see this morning in Psalm 81. And this is a great psalm, and it's, um, it's kind of pathetic. And it's pathetic in this sense. You know, there's a passage in Zephaniah 3 that's unique in Scripture because God was pictured as daddy with a tiny little child and he's singing over his child. The picture that God gives through Zephaniah 3 is of a father with all this paternal affection for his child, delighting over his child and singing over his child. That's unique in Scripture, especially the Old Testament. What you've got in Psalm 81 it's part this call. Matter of fact, Psalm 66 is almost the beginning of Psalm 81 as well. It's this call to praise God, to join Him in celebration, but it closes on a lament because just like I was trying to cajole my little girl, honey, you're going to miss out. That The table's set. We're all here together. And if you can't change your perspective, you're going to miss out on the blessing that's to be had here. God laments Israel because he's called them to the festival. He's called them to celebration and they've said no. And it closes on this pathetic where God says, if only if only you would listen, if only you would come. And he said, instead, I'm just going to leave you to what you chose. And guys, we do not want to be left to what we would choose apart from Christ. That's Psalm 81. So it's this great call to celebration. But it also closes on this note of kind of the paternal aspect of God lamenting what his children would not choose, refuse to choose. And so for us, it, two things here. So we want to hear the call to celebration. That our call in relationship with Christ is a call to life qualitatively. And there's joy and there's peace in that. We want to hear the call to celebrate together in God's presence. That's the beginning but we also want to be careful, we get to the second half of the song, to at least qualify in our own minds, are there times and ways in which I'm doing exactly what the Jews did, I'm choosing something and someone other than God, and I'm losing out. God's saying, okay, well, this is what you chose, I'm, I'm going to give this to you. And so instead of God being able to celebrate with us or us with God, God's lamenting, I had this provided for you, and I wanted to give it to you, and you said no. We don't want to end where this psalm ends. So if you have your Bibles, open up. This is Psalm 81. It's on page 491 if you happen to use a pew Bible. Uh, let me read Alan Ross's summary as an introduction. He says, The psalmist summons the people to praise the Lord jubilantly at the times that God established 
as a celebration of their great deliverance from bondage in Egypt. And using this witness of history, he announces that the Lord would turn their affliction into abundant blessing if they would only obey. Uh, look at the heading there. It's to the choir master. This was written to be sung. According to Giddeth, no idea, guys. It's thought it's probably a melody line that they knew. We don't know what that word means. And again, it's of Asaph. So it's credited either to Asaph or the folks he was leading in the worship around the time of King David. And we'll take this a section at a time, so I hope we can make the big points the big points. Look at verses 1 through 3. Again, a lot like Psalm 66. A sing, so here's the call, sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song so all, all our voices coming out singing, shouting, raising a song. And then it gets to instruments, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp, blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. So, so a lot like uh, we heard this morning in the Sunday school about how we present or think about the gospel. It was sing, shout, celebrate. That was the call here at the beginning of the song. Gather the national family and come into God's presence in praise and abundance of God's provision of joy. I, um, if we think of the, the Temple of Solomon, you've probably seen images and you can probably think about what that looks like. Perhaps a little bit more challenging in David's day, remember there's no temple, but there's a tent. There's the tabernacle. So in our mind's eye, and, and by the way, we're going to go through some Old Testament text here. Um, we want to see sort of in our mind's eye what they would have thought of, what they understood this call to celebrate looked like. We'll talk about the specific event that it looks like Psalm 81 is referring to. But when they're being called to this national family, national celebration in God's presence, it would have been around that tent erected in Jerusalem. It would have been a big area. And so in the time of Asaph, David had already organized. There are song leaders, three of them like Asaph. And then there are choirs of singers. And then there's also the instrumentalists. You see all of them referenced here. And so guys, this, this call would have looked like the singers are there, the instruments were there. You know, it would have been a worship stage, but written very much larger. And then the nation, at least representatively, would have been around that same thing so the call to sing would have been this big production of the national family gathering around the presence of God, and they would have been singing and praising together in joy. Now, besides just that, so we want to see that in our mind's eye. And also, let me suggest this. Um, we'll be heading in. We're in the fall season. We'll be heading in. And you know, typically, when you get into fall, sort of November, most of our minds, our thoughts start going to the holidays, right? There's about, you know, you take Thanksgiving through the end of the year. So you've got, what, five weeks or so. So once we get, we're starting to approach that season, our minds are thinking about holidays and celebrations. Well, that's what's going on here, too. And I'll tell you why I think that's the case. and Most commentators do as well. It looks like that what's being referenced here is the Feast of Tabernacles. So we'll look through the text and tell you why that appears to be the case. But this would have been a big deal. So for the Jews that would have heard Psalm 81, it would have sort of put them in a frame of reference like we are when, let's just say, the first or second week of November comes along. 
And we're making plans for Thanksgiving and where are we going to be and what families will be celebrating, what follows that, and Christmas and New Year. So for the Jews hearing this, this was almost certainly, it was putting them in mind of the seventh month on their religious calendar and everything that was going to follow. So if you look at verse 3 for just a minute, they wrote, blow the trumpet. So in Israel, trumpets were used for a variety of reasons. There were metal trumpets and there were also shofars, ram's horns, trumpets. And they were used, apart from other things, to bring in the new month. They were also used at feasts. So this thing about blow the trumpet. Okay, so we're talking about Israel being called to attention for some reason. And then it says, uh, uh, at the new moon, so that would be the beginning of the month. And then at the full moon, that would be two weeks later. And then at the feast day. And basically, guys, in the seventh month, you get the three final feasts that Israel was called to celebrate every year. So you get the Feast of Trumpets on New Moon, the first day of the month. Ten days later, you got the, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, ten days later. And then after that, on the 15th, you started the week-long celebration of tabernacles. And it sounds like that's what's being called to here. So for them, remember, you're talking about basically a three-week period where there's going to be this call to attention on the Day of Trumpets. We'll read the text here in just a second. And then there's going to be this National Day of Repentance. And in fact, the term used is afflict your soul. You're going to fast. You're going to think about your sins and moral failures before God. And the high priest is going to make atonement for the nation. So the day is going to begin with this sense of my, my culpability before God. But it's going to end with this thought of, I've got a clean slate. And the nation stands in right relationship between us and God. We're, we're good to go. And five days later is going to be this week-long festival of God's people celebrating God in His presence with each other. That's the invitation. So if you can look at this in your Bible if you want. I'm going to reference some of these from Leviticus. Uh, on trumpets, uh, Leviticus 23 so this would be the, so as, as that seventh month, is, by the way, seventh month would be right now. So we're in the midst of the Jewish uh, fall festivals right now. I'll mention the dates here in just a second. So it would be September, October is when this comes. You know, their calendar's a little different than ours. So their seventh month would be right now. So when that seventh month begins on the first day, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel, say, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blasts of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. So you've come through the summer. Remember, this is still an agrarian culture. They've had the spring feasts in March or April. So the four spring feasts have already occurred. And now the agrarian cycle is running through and by the time the seventh month comes, they harvested most of their crops. So they're following an agrarian year, and this is the point they get to. And on the first of that seventh month, there's this call to attention. So I've been working away for about three months, and now God calls me to attention with the blowing of trumpets. I quit all my ordinary work, and I'm thinking about what's coming up in the rest of this seventh month. The, the three feasts that are part of this month, signaled by the blowing of trumpets, on the first day. Uh, you typically hear this one called Rosh Hashanah today. 
instead of trumpets. And uh, Israel had two calendars. So the religious one started in March, April. When we think of uh, Passover, that'd be the first month for their religious year. Uh, but their civil or their political year started uh, on the seventh month. Sorry, day one of the seventh month. So for them, January 1st was the first day of Tishri in the fall. So it's called Rosh Hashanah, it's the head of the year. So if you hear that, it's just saying the civil year begins today. It's New Year's Day for them. But historically, this was the Feast of Trumpets and God was calling them to attention for the religious ceremonies that were going to follow. So that's the first day. That would be followed on the 10th day of that same month by the Day of Atonement. And uh, you can read this. I've got Leviticus 16. I'll read in just a second. But when you read the book of Hebrews and you read about the high priest once a year going into the Holy of Holies, not with blood his own, but with the blood of the calves and the animals to make atonement for himself first and then make atonement for the nation, that's, that's this day. That's the day of atonement. That's what was going on. So the nation is fasting before God. They're aware of their sins. And then the high priest through this special it would have taken all day to make these sacrifices and the cleansing that he was required to do. But at the end of it, the nation would know our sins have been covered and we are in right relationship as a nation before God. So this is Leviticus 16, 29 and 30. It shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns with you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. And listen to this. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. So on this day of atonement, when the nation stood before them, the sacrifices were made. There was this understanding between them and God that God has said, you're in right relationship with me. That this, your sins and the sins of the nation, they've been covered. The high priest has gone into the Holy of Holies with the blood. The mercy seat has been sprinkled with the blood. And you're good to go. There's nothing now between you and God. You're in right relationship with God. The Day of Atonement. And then following that would be Tabernacles or Succoth. Uh, that's the last of the feasts and it's the last of the three fall feasts. So this is Leviticus 23. So I've heard the trumpet calls. God has my attention. I've met with the Lord and I fasted and there's been this, this call to repentance about sin. Atonement's been made by the high priest and now there's the call to celebration and festival. So this is Leviticus 23, 39-43. through 43. On the 15th day of the seventh month, so just five days later, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, and remember because it's the fall, most of the harvest is in. So this is also called the Feast of Ingathering. Because the harvest has been brought in. Uh, celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. You shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, willows of the brook. Uh, still today, the Jews take four kinds of tree limbs when they do this today. This is still observed today. Uh, you shall, and listen to the language, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It's a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths. 
that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths or tents when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So imagine this. <clears throat> the nation knows, so when this was practiced, the nation knows we're going we're gonna to leave home wherever we live and we're going to go and for a week and change we're going to be in Jerusalem or around Jerusalem and we're going to erect these temporary dwellings out of all these tree limbs and we're going to be feasting and celebrating with God and with each other for seven days. We're going to begin with a day of no work. We're going to end with a day of no work. And in between, we're meeting with God. We're praising Him each day. And we're meeting with each other and we're feasting. We brought some of the fruits of the labor of the year with us. And so there's the, there's the joy of the harvest is in. And there's also this call to celebrate because you're remembering what God did for Israel in the past. So this is also interesting because uh, I think this would have been a hard one for moms with little kids. But I think everybody else would have a grand time. So uh, the little kids, they're going to be hanging, right? They're going to be hanging out with their relatives because they're all going down together. You know, if you read Luke uh, 2 or 3 where Jesus goes down for one of the spring feasts, you know, and, and the whole the whole troop from his hometown has gone down. He gets lost because they Mary and Joseph just assume he's with everybody else who's leaving Jerusalem going back. It would have been like that. So you would have been making a trek down to Jerusalem with everybody else from your town. You'd be hanging out with your cousins and guys, you'd be singing, shouting and praising before God. There'd be the joy of fellowship with God himself. And there'd be the joy of the celebration because this was a time of plenty. And I'm told that this is still the high water mark in Israel today as far as celebrations. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. And that would have been the case then. So, so when Psalm 81 opens and God's got this call, so here's the trumpet, the new moon, the full moon, the feast, it sure sounds like He's calling them. This is a reminder to the Feast of Ingathering, the Tabernacles. Guys, this would be... Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's for us wrapped up in a single week. It wasn't a single day. It wasn't a weekend. It was a week long. This was one of the mandatory feasts also for the men in Israel. So you're going to go down and you're going to hang out with each other, your friends and family. You're going to have this joyous interaction with God in praise around the tabernacle. Guys, this, is, this would be as good as it got. This would be as good as life on planet Earth was going to get. We're, we've been forgiven. We're in right relationship with God. There's nothing that holds us back. We get to be in God's presence, celebrating Him together. And we're doing so in the midst of the plenty He's provided in the year. And we're also remembering what He did for us in the past. This was as high as it got in the year for Israel. This was a good thing. And this is what God was inviting them to. So, if you were invited, would you go? Not a dumb question, but if we were invited, would we go? So we are in the midst of the fall feasts uh, for the Jewish calendar right now. Trumpets was September 15th and 16th. And you know, because the Jewish day starts at sundown, we say 15th and 16th instead of one or the other because it starts on our calendar on the 15th. It goes through the 16th. Uh, Yom Kippur starts this evening at sundown, 24th and 25th. And Tabernacles is September 29th through October 6th. So if you know observant Jews, they'll be in the midst of this right now. Look at verses 4 through 7. Cause for celebration. 
God says it's a statute for Israel. This, this gathering, this praise, this celebration. It's a statute. It's a rule of the God of Jacob. Remember, we just read it out of Leviticus. It's part of the law, part of the covenant. He made it a decree in Joseph. And guys, on these next two lines, I just say this to... Um, I don't want to minimize them, but I'll just tell you they're confusing. Uh, when he went out over the land of Egypt, I hear a language I had not known. That's the ESV translation. This get, these two lines get translated different ways. I wish I knew the correct, the correct one. But the thought is this could mean when he went out over the land, that when, when Yahweh went out over Egypt in the miracles. Could be God's going over Egypt. It's also thought it might mean God's leading Israel out of Egypt. We're not sure. And then the next line, I hear language I had not known. We're not sure who the speaker is. We're not sure what the reference is to what's being said is. It's unclear. So we got a couple lines here and it's like, what does it mean? It's kind of like, get it? We're not really sure. So I say that, it's ignorance. And that, there it is. And then we move on to what we can say more clearly. Uh, verse 6, I relieved, God speaking, I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. So God's looking back there. So he says the first reason for this feast and this annual reminder was that I saved you from Egypt. And the Feast of Tabernacles is going to remind them of the deliverance from Egypt and the wilderness wandering when God provided for them. So it's really both. It's a twofer. Look at verse 6. He relieved their shoulders from hard labor, building Pharaoh's cities, making bricks uh, with or without straw. Uh, verse 7, he says, you called in your distress. And guys, you know, when he's speaking to the nation, it's like he's speaking to an individual, even though this would have been 400 years earlier, he's speaking as if it's the same person, the same generation. So Israel is seen as, a, as an individual in that sense. So when he says you, he doesn't mean the generation alive at the moment, but he does mean their ancestors. This is what I did for national Israel. This is what I did for my covenant people. He met with them at Sinai. Remember the place of thunders where he entered into covenant with them. And then he says uh, he led them through the desert. He provided water. They get to a place where there's only bitter water. And God says, I can take care of that. We bring in the story of God providing the rock, which was Christ. So God says, so part of this is a reminder. I'm reminding you that I, you called and I delivered you from slavery in Egypt. And then I led you successfully and provided for you through all the wilderness wandering 40 years in the desert. What did God deliver them from? Guys, you remember that they weren't in the desert all that long. Do you remember what they said? They said it'd be better if we were back in Egypt. Because right now we just got this manna stuff and we're not feeling the love. And back there we had fish and we had leeks and onions. We had all these crops of the ground. Didn't take long. So we say this is a no-brainer, but listen to what God saved them from. Exodus 1. The Egyptians ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. Made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile. You shall let every daughter live. What did God deliver them from? Slavery, servitude, ruthless treatment, 
And by the way, we're killing your sons too. That's what he delivered them from in part. Exodus 2, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. They cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God says, I'm aware of what's going on. You, you prayed in your distress and I heard. And then Exodus 3, the Lord said, this is to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good land, a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So this tabernacles is also another reminder of God's great deliverance and what he delivered them from. You were ruthlessly treated. You were slaves. You didn't control your own outcome. You were burdened down. Your children were being slain. And you cried out to me, God says, and I heard you. And I came down and I delivered you. That's the thought behind tabernacles. You know, they forget quickly in the wilderness. I got the manna and I, I, I prefer something a little meatier. And so, you know, Egypt doesn't sound that, that bad. This is a good time to pause, though, for us. So if you're a Christian... If you're a Christian, you've, you've had your own exodus, right? You've had your exodus out of sin and slavery and death, right? And, and God has let us out, not through Moses, but through Jesus. You remember Moses can't take them into the land of promise, but Yehoshua can take them into the land of promise, Jesus by another name, right? So we've been delivered, but how many times do you and I maybe do a little bit of what they did so we forget what God delivered us from? You know, so just along with the Sunday school lesson this morning, Apart from the exodus deliverance God gives us in Christ, what are you and I facing? We're facing hell. We're facing God's righteous wrath and judgment forever. Age without end. That, that would be it. It doesn't matter what happens in our this short life we have on the earth, guys. Whatever the sufferings or the joys are or whatever the lack is, we're going to heaven forever. We, our judgment's been, been poured out on Christ. We have been saved from God's righteous wrath and judgment. Amen. Everything else is gravy. But if you think about it too, we've been saved from the power of sin that enslaves us. Remember Paul's words in Romans 7, you know, I'm saved and I've got this new nature, but I'm still battling and I still feel this tug because I've got the habit and the mind for sin. But you know, as a Christian, we start learning, and this usually it's progressive, but we learn, you know what, I don't have to sin the way I used to sin. And you know, many, many of us have stories here of what life used to look like. And we realize, we look back and we say, God delivered me from the power of my sin. I was not in a good place. And guys, it could be something as, as mundane as I was just a proud individual. I was so stupid, I was proud. For others of us, it's all kinds of abuse, but God has delivered us in Christ from the power of sin. And because that's the case, as believers, you and I, just like them going to tabernacles, we can experience joy and peace on any day of the week because we have Christ, because the fruits of sin that we would otherwise be committing aren't, aren't there. The tree's been cut down and we're free and we're enjoying those freedoms we have in Christ. Or we could... 
unless we ought not to. And of course, that's what you'll see. That's what Israel did. It's this forgetfulness. We talked about this in Psalm 78. There's just these lessons you just can't afford to forget. You can't afford to forget. This is one of the reasons why we're in our Bible. I was struck this morning, again in Sunday school, you know, what are you characterized by? Um, you know, we tell people all the time. Mike tells people all the time. Read your Bible. But it's, be, it's not the, uh, I guess it's a form of command, but here's the deal. If I'm reading my Bible, I'm getting God's truth. I'm drawing near to God. He's revealing Himself to me. He's revealing truth. I'm getting the benefit of my relationship with God in Christ through the truth of His Word. That's why we want to hang out there. Amen. It's not a legalistic uh, read your Bible as if that's the law to keep. It's God meets us there. We, we feast at the table when we meet with God in His Word. Spiritual darkness, guys. So, so if we look at Israel only and we say those dummies... In fact, I have a Bible study with a guy. We're reading through Romans. And uh, he'll, he'll say this repeatedly. Why don't they see this? He's talking about Jews today. Why don't they see that Jesus is the Messiah, is their Messiah, is their Savior? And he keeps saying, I can't believe they don't see this. It's like, you didn't see it for about 65 years. Uh, why? Because <laughs> that's what we are. That's the stuff we're made of. But for us as the redeemed, we are meant, and you know we especially do this every time we remember the Lord Jesus in His death, resurrection, at the Lord's Supper. We're remembering what God did for us. That's our Exodus account. The Passover lamb was slain. 1 Corinthians 5 says Jesus was our Passover. That, that sacrifice has been made. Day of Atonement's come for us, hasn't it? We stand righteous before God in Christ. So why would we want to go back and say no thanks to God's invitation to celebrate in His presence. Why would we want to say no to that? But we do. And that's exactly what Israel did as well. Uh, look at verses 8 through 12. This is Israel's failure. God says, Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. So the invitation is there. And the reminder what God did for them. O oh, Israel, if you would but listen to me, which means they're not, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. This is almost, this could be seen a couple different ways, but primarily I think it means whatever your need is, it's like my need is a hunger. I'm hungry. And God says, if you'll open your mouth, I'll fill it up. What do you need? You know, what's your need? Let me know. Open your mouth. You guys ever seen baby birds, by the way, in a nest? It's kind of gross, actually. You know, they're, they, they don't have the beauty of all their plumage, but they, their mouths look bigger than the rest of their body. And what do they do? They just open wide their mouth when they hear mom or dad coming, and mom and dad just stuff food down their mouths. God's saying to them, guys, all you got to do is open. All you got to do is ask. All you got to do is open those mouths and I'll fill it up. Verse 11, but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Guys, we don't want to hear God say your will be done. You know, C.S. Lewis said that was his version of hell. God saying to man, your will be done. We don't want God to say, 
Uh, okay, you don't want my will. Your will be done. We do not want to hear that. It's a divine judgment. If God says that to us, I'm giving you what you want instead of what I wanted to give you. By the way, if you think, I think it's Matthew 23. Jesus has presented himself as Messiah in Jerusalem. He's been thoroughly rejected by most. And you remember what he says? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You know, you've stoned the prophets. I came to you and I was like a hen. And if you would have let me, I would have gathered to you together like chicks under my wings. I would have been there for you. And he says, but you've rejected me. And so I leave you. You're, I leave you in desolation. I'm giving you Jerusalem what you want, what you've chosen. And of course, Jerusalem is what is literally wiped off the landscape less than 40 years later by the Romans. Everything is gone. Because Jesus said, I'm giving you what you want. You don't want me. I'll give you the choice you've made. And he did. We don't want to do that. Uh, God points out the painful reality that Israel had embraced foreign gods. This was in their time. Because he's saying, if you'd listen, meaning you're not listening now, not just your ancestors, you guys today are not listening. They were forgetting the living and true God who'd saved them historically and the one who was providing for them day by day in their own time. Look at verses 13 through 16. This is, um, this is uh, God's lament and, uh, and his plea, really. He said, oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. If they would, verse 14, I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. And remember, not just God, but God is the God of the Jews. The Jews would be signally delivered, saved from every foreign oppressor. Verse 16, but he would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. So God is lamenting Israel's rejection here. He says, if only you would. If only you would. I've got all this stuff prepared. If only you would come. If only you'd ascend. If only you would agree. Your life would be big. And it would be abundant. But you've chosen something else. Verse 15, Israel's enemies would submit to them. Verse 16, he says... Um, I would feed you with the finest of wheat. Uh, if you think back in the day when this was written, for most people, uh, the bread they ate would have been barley. It was cheaper and it was coarser. They would have eaten barley bread. But where was the finest wheat served? Do you remember? The show bread at the tabernacle in the temple was the finest wheat. And so God says, you know what? If you would come along, you would feast on the finest the land had to offer. So... So put it in context. In the wilderness, they had manna, right? So they made it and they boil it and they make their bread or whatever their bread substitute was. But he said, but now you're in the land of promise. So now you've got the grains. You're growing your own grain. The manna stopped when they went into the land of promise. Well, God says now it's sort of a, a, a nod to the Exodus. But he says, now, if you'd respond to my call, I would feed you with the finest the land has to offer. No seconds, no second best. I would feed you with the finest, just like my priests eat in my presence. It would be like you would be with me in my home, eating the same quality, if you will, of bread that the priest did. And then he says, with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. So, you know, again, a reference, a nod to the Exodus. In the wilderness, there's no water. So what does he do? He provides water 
from a rock in the wilderness. And do you remember it's gushing? It's always there. It follows them. Paul told us that was actually Christ. But here they're in the land, so they got seasonal rains. They got the springs of water. They've got the cisterns, especially on the hill of the Temple Mount. There's cisterns everywhere. So they've got all this water. So now he's not saying, I'll give you water from a rock. Now he says, I'll give you honey from a rock. I'll give you life in the sweetest way possible. Remember for them, no refined sugar back in the day. But they knew what honey was. And so God says, I'll give you the best of the land and life will be the sweetest thing you could ever imagine if only you'll accept the invitation to celebrate. This, this should be a no-brainer, right? But, but it's not. It's not. Friend and I were discussing fresh homemade bread the other day and he was praising. He said there's nothing like fresh warm bread slathered with honey and butter. And I thought, yeah, we're hungry for it right now. All you have to do is say it. You can almost smell it, right? I thought, yeah, that's what God was saying. It'll be life as good as it gets, as grand as it gets, as joyful as it gets. That's what he's offering them in his presence, in the fellowship they had with God and with each other. In what ways, so this is the dumb moment for us, in what ways are we clinging to idols and thereby giving away our inheritance? So guys, we say yes, 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 but <clears throat> all of us sin. James says we all sin in many ways. Where are the areas where we are not accepting God's invitation to life and festival and celebration and abundance and freedom and plenty? Because we are, one way or another. We say sanctification is progressive. You know, on one hand, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. We are perfect righteousness of God in Christ right now. But on a practical level, any one of us knows the, the sins that we, we fall into. And we say on that level, it's progressive. God is showing us more sin over time so that we can turn away from it. Where are we still clinging to old idols and old sins? Because remember, it's a trade. We're saying no thank you to God. We're saying yes to something else. It's always death. It's always an element of death. Just as God's invitation to us in Christ is always to life, every refusal we make is to some element of death. Yeah, there's a uh, Proverbs 8, the end of the chapter there is, is poignant. And, uh, and wisdom speaking says, all those who hate me, who hate wisdom, love death. And we say, well, I don't love death. But every time we choose to sin, we're saying we do love death. We're saying no thank you to God called to life. And I love the tone. Uh, God is pleading with Israel. He's telling them, guys, you can experience life so much better. It could be so different than you're getting right now. You're worshiping other gods and you're getting the fruit of it. And if only you turn to me, if only you'd accept the invitation, this is what you'd get. Life as sweet as it can be. Life in all its richness and all its fullness. Uh, there's a verse in John 1, John 1, 14, that a Jew reading uh, had an immediate uh, thought for that we typically don't. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word, the Word of God, the perfect communication of God, became flesh. Um, 
New American Standard, I can't remember, might say tabernacle, but the Greek word here is skenao, and it means he pitched a tent with us. That Jesus physically, his physical presence on the earth, he was, uh, God was pitching a tent in the person of Jesus. And so the Jews hearing that, they, they think tabernacles, because the tabernacle was a tent. It's the same word that would have been used in the, Old, the Greek Old Testament for the tabernacle. God in Christ had come down in a tent in a tabernacle and was dwelling with his people. And then listen to this out of Revelation 21. So we know that in Christ, ultimately, all the feasts are fulfilled in Christ. So everything points to Christ. All of the Old Testament, all the feasts, all of the sacrifices, the stories, the personnel, all ultimately point us to Christ. Listen to this from Revelation 21, 1 through 4. And this is thinking about where, where does the Feast of Tabernacles take us? Where does it lead us? John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The skene, the tent of God, is with man. He will dwell, skenao, with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, yes, sir. nor pain, for the former things have passed away. So, that's tabernacles. That's where this ends. It ends with God in Christ's presence in eternity, a new heaven and a new earth, and there's nothing between God and us. We're in right standing, and the celebration really begins. Now, let me ask you, who would, who would, who would turn down that invitation? Why would we turn down that invitation? You know, we talk all the time, if, if uh, the gospel is all about Jesus, who he is and what he did, and we just say yes to Jesus, and we get all the benefit of what He's done. And we get life with Him to the ages. We're in His presence forever. It's the only place you want to be, guys. Cajole yourself. Speak to your soul. Sing, shout, dance. But we want to join the celebration. That's where we're going. If you would, rise and let's read from Revelation 19 together. The worship team will come up.